Hey, am I on? I think I'm on. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you this morning. I'm Sim, and I'm going to be taking us through this part of Ruth. So as you'll know, if you've been coming here the last uh, few weeks, we have been looking at the book of Ruth, and it's been good, hasn't it? It's been good uh, looking at what God is doing in the lives of Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi. And we're going to do the same uh, again this morning. So I thought before we go too far, we should recap where we've got to. So at the start, we saw that there was a famine in Israel. Do you remember? And so Elimelech, Naomi, went to the neighboring country of Moab. And their two sons married two Moabite women, but they didn't have any children. And then Elimelech and both his two sons died. So Naomi was left with her two daughters-in-law. Because the famine in Israel had finished, Naomi returned back to Israel, and her daughters-in-law wanted to come with her. Do you remember that? Um, but Ruth, uh, Naomi said, no, don't come with me, don't come with me. But Ruth insisted on coming with Naomi, even though this means that she will die a widow, or so they think. Ruth says that infamous, do you remember? She says, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. In Ruth 2.12, it says that Ruth took refuge under God's wings. So, we see that Naomi is, is bitter and depressed at this point. She can't see any hope. She can't see that what God is doing. She says she's empty, and she wants people to call her Mara, which means bitter, rather than Naomi. Okay, so that's the first part. Next part, I'm going to need a few helpers. So, um, who should we have? Boaz, Luke, where's Luke? Brilliant, can you come up? Um, yep. Becky, do you want to be Naomi? Uh, great, and Leela, yep, you could be Ruth. Brilliant, thank you very much. Okay, so you need to go with Naomi. It's your Ruth. You can be there. That's great. Looking good. Um, okay. So in order to live, Ruth goes out to collect leftover wheat in the fields after the harvest has been. So we'll imagine that Luke's got this nice field over here. Sorry, Boaz. Yep. And uh, I want you to go and pick up some wheat so that you can eat. That would be great. There we go. And it just so happens, just so happens, that she goes in Boaz's field. What a coincidence. Um, and so Boaz is actually a relative of Ruth and Naomi, which is, means that he's actually someone who can redeem their family. And we're going to talk a lot more about that later, so don't worry too much. But Boaz is awfully kind, so you're going to give her lots and lots of nice things. There we go, there we go, very, very kind. You spoil her by protecting her, feeding her, and making sure that she has lots of nice stuff to glean, uh, lots of wheat, which is great. So you go back and tell Naomi, your mother-in-law, there we go, thank you. And after hearing of Boaz's kindness, you're like, wow, that's cool. Uh, and remembering that he's a relative, ah, um, and so he's eligible to redeem them, Naomi comes up with a cunning little plan. <laughs> okay, so you come up with an interesting plan for Ruth to propose to Boaz. 
So Ruth follows uh, Naomi's instructions and lies. Can you go to sleep for a bit, please? Thank you. <laughs> I want you to lie somewhere near his feet. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so you follow the instructions really well, and you lie at uh, Boaz's feet during the night, and then he wakes up. It's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? <laughs> um, and then, uh, Ruth, you're going to suggest to uh, Boaz that he can redeem you by marrying you. And uh, Boaz is really honored and is quite surprised, uh, but reveals that actually <gasps> there's someone else who is related, who is even more eligible Ooh, to marry. <gasps> okay. And that's the cliffhanger that we left it at last week. There's someone else. Okay. So we see actually that God has not abandoned Naomi and has actually been working all along Everything isn't as bad as Naomi had thought. All hope isn't actually lost. And even Naomi can start to see it. And she recognizes it. You know, in, in, in chapter 2, verse 20, that we looked at last, last week, uh, when uh, Ruth has gone back to Naomi and said that it's Boaz's field and his amazing kindness, Ruth says, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not show, stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Naomi starts to see a little bit of what God is doing. When it says he has not stopped showing his kindness, I think there's a a deliberate double meaning there, a deliberate kind of play on words. He means Boaz, but also, I think, means God. We see throughout the book of Ruth, that God is actually orchestrating and moving parts around. I emphasized it. Ruth just happened to be in Boaz's field. The book of Ruth is actually quite a difficult time for Israel, and so it's hard to see what God's plan is. We know, don't we, that life is not easy and straightforward. And the biblical stories show us that. There's nothing in the Bible, I couldn't think of a single story, that goes really nicely from A to B to C. Oh, that's nice. You know, think of the lives of Joseph, yeah? Jonah? (laughs) Job? Okay, and those are just a few beginning with the letter J, right? You get my point. Um, We see it time and time again. Life is kind of twisty and turny. And God is at work in those difficult times. God uses those difficult times for our good and for his glory. He doesn't just come after the difficult times and fix everything. He works in the difficult times. The pastor John Piper puts it like this. God is not just showing up after the troubles and cleaning them up. He's managing the course. Hmm. The book of Ruth, I think, is interesting because it helps us to see how God is at work in and through the difficult times. Throughout the book of Ruth, do we see anyone walking on water? Nope. Do we see anyone uh, parting the seas? Nope. We don't see that in the book of Ruth, do we? But God is at work, actually, in the day-to-day of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. The author doesn't directly say, and then I did this, you know, God did this. But yet we can still join the dots, can't we? We can still see, oh, yeah, okay. I think that's really encouraging. Yeah? I think that's really encouraging. Because 
um, sometimes we might wonder, why isn't God doing something miraculous in my life today? Why isn't da-da-da? That doesn't mean that God isn't doing something incredible. We'll see a a little bit later on, uh, we'll see a little glimpse of what God is actually doing here. But before that, how might seeing God at work in the day-to-day be an encouragement for us? Hmm? At school, in the workplace, at university. What is God doing in your life that you might not necessarily see? How does seeing God at work in those difficult times for Naomi and Ruth help us to see God at work in our lives? Naomi couldn't see it. Yeah? And it's true that often we can't see what God is doing until afterwards, looking back, and we go, oh, okay, maybe, yeah. Um, When we're going through a difficult time, things just feel quite rough, don't they? They feel really bleak. It's really tough when everything is going wrong to trust God. How do you react when things get difficult, when everything seems to be going wrong? Do you find it easy to trust God? Do you cling to him? I'll leave you with that thought. We're going to sing a couple more songs and then we're going to pick it up again. Okay, welcome back to Bethlehem. So, slight change of cast, although we still need Boaz. Where's Boaz? Um, He's multitasking today. (laughs) Great. So, um, yes, so we are in chapter four this morning. Uh, So you might, in fact, it would be great, actually, if you could open it up. For memory, I think it's roughly page 269. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay, so yeah, so we just discovered that there's someone else. So um, what does it say? Chapter 4, first one. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate. That will do. Sorry, it's not particularly historically accurate. It's got balloons, but that will be our town gate for this morning. Um, So yes, Boaz, if you'd like to come over here, please, and sat down just as the guardian redeemer that he had mentioned... That's Les. Thank you, Les. Also multitasking this morning. Came along. Boaz said, come over, my friend, and sit down. And quite conveniently, there's a couple of seats. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town. Now, who would like to be an elder? Josh? George? Anyone wants to be, anyone else wants to be an elder? You can come and sit down here so you can come and witness. Very welcome to come and sit. Brilliant. Thank you. So you're the elders, so you're kind of witnessing what's going on here. So keep a, keep a close eye, nothing shifty. Uh, okay, so Boaz took ten of the elders from the town and said, sit here. And they did. Great. Uh, then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. Now, there's a bit of kind of custom, cultural customs that are quite strange for, her, for us to get our head around here, so I'm going to have to try and explain. The first one is called leveret, and it means that if a man dies, a close relative can take his land and his wife, if she hasn't had any children, in order to keep that family line going. Matthew and Owen, are you able to give me a quick hand? 
So Matthew and Owen are brothers. <laughs> They're going to help me with this. Um, now, it's probably not something you thought about much um, at the moment, but I want you to imagine, Owen, that you are in a few years' time getting married, okay? Very good. Nice. Uh, but then, unfortunately, you don't have any children, and then you die. Mm. I was expecting a bit more of a reaction. Yeah, come on, that's good. Um, yeah, so, hmm, Matthew, <laughs> how would you feel about, um, how about this, about marrying Owen's uh, wife when uh, Owen dies? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, quite right. It's a bit of a kind of weird thing, isn't it? Um, yeah, you might not even like uh, the wife. But yeah, so it's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? A bit of a weird scenario, but that's what they did in those days. Brilliant. Thank you very much, guys. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, yeah, so that's Leverett. So yeah, the idea is that, yeah, if it's to kind of to keep the, the family line going. And it, it seems like a really strange concept for us these days. But back then, the family line was actually really, really important. And so that's what they did, okay? That's just what they did. Gonna have to, gonna have to live with it. Uh, so when we see here that two eligible people can uh, buy the land and um, marry Ruth. So they are called guardian redeemers. So I thought, so this is Boaz speaking, I thought that I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here, and in, uh, yep, and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so will I. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am the next line. I will redeem it, he said. No, 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 no. That's not what we wanted to hear. <laughs> we want the happy ending, right? We want um, Ruth and Boaz to walk off into the distance. What are you doing? You're spoiling it. Um, so then Boaz says, well, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Much to the great relief of us, of Boaz, of everybody, he can't redeem it. And so Boaz is free to redeem Ruth. Hooray! So we notice there that it's clearly not quite as simple and straightforward to redeem as we might have first imagined. One of the responsibilities of in the Leveret was to marry a widow if she hadn't had any children. Buying the land would have been all right, would have been possible, um, but when you found out about Ruth... Mm, is a sticking point. So to act as a redeemer can be costly because you can buy the field. You know, you buy, you spend your money to buy the field, but then if there's a leveret son, it goes to that family. So it's kind of, an, you know, out of your own pocket. You pay for it, but then it gets returned to the family of your relative. Verse seven. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. Here's another cultural custom for us to get our head around. It's, it's quite strange as well. It involves taking off your sandal and giving it to the other person to formalize the agreement. Thankfully, these days, we've replaced it by kind of signing a document. But yes, it was kind of, uh, there we go. Very good. 
I struggle to read this passage and then not have this kind of mental image in my head of lots of people walking home with just one shoe on. (laughs) I struggle to kind of get past that. But anyway, we're going to have to leave that picture. But yes, uh, I'm sure if you're really nicely, we'll give it you back later. Otherwise, it could be, I mean, it might be all right on your scooter, actually. I don't know. (laughs) Um, So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal, which you've already done. Great. Uh, With the other guardian redeemer not able to redeem, Boaz steps in and offers to help. We see that redeeming Ruth is a costly and involves personal sacrifice as well. It's giving part of his own inheritance for Eliminet's family line. We see that the guardian redeemer doesn't just need to be related, but also needs to be able and willing. There's no obligation It's love in action. Naomi and Ruth are vulnerable and pretty helpless. Boaz sweeps in with huge, overwhelming generosity, love, and kindness. Does that remind us of anything? Whenever we say kind of overwhelming, generosity, loving, kindness, does that? It's a recurring theme in the Bible, isn't it? And we can't help but see similarities there with Boaz and God's love and generosity for us. Boaz here points us to the character of God. The best example, of course, is the cross. When we're told that the punishment for each of us for rejecting God is death. And yet, like Boaz, God makes it right again, restoring, redeeming God does so by sending his son as a sacrifice to pay our debt. That undeserved kindness, love, and generosity. And like Naomi and Ruth, who shelter under Boaz's wings, and he rescues them, we shelter and find refuge under God's wings. Okay. So then, verse 9. Then Boaz announced, you might want to stand up for this bit, To all the people and to the elders there, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Merbite, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses. I want to cheer at this point. It's kind of quite exciting, right? Right. I think we need a bit more than that. Let's go with party poppers. This is a wedding, guys. Who wants to pop one of these? The elders can pop some of these. Do you want to pop some of these? They've just announced there's going to be a wedding. Tony, do you want to go? Yeah, here you go. Right. Three, two, one, go! Oh, hooray! <laughs> um, instantly, Ruth isn't even actually there, but, you know, <laughs> that's, just, that's just the way it goes. Um, okay, but there's more, actually, than even this. So that's pretty exciting. There's just been a wedding, right? But the story of Ruth isn't just a story of a woman and a man finding love and getting married. Ruth and Boaz are actually caught up in something very special, and we're going to see that together now. So what do the elders pray? Then the elders and all the people at the gate, the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord... Whoa! <laughs> Right. Um, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. 
May you have standing in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez whom Tamor bore to Judah. They pray that Ruth and Boaz may be like Rachel and Leah and their family like that of Perez. Perez was actually an ancestor of Boaz and he too had come from a leveret. Um, so we can, we can see the similarities there. Rachel and Leah. Rachel and Leah. They were the mothers of Israel, right? They gave birth to the 12 tribes. Even though um, Rachel, just like Ruth actually, had, difficult to have, had difficulty having children. Ruth had been able, hadn't been able to have um, any children for 10 years while she were married to Naomi's son. And then God opened Rachel's womb, so she gave birth to Joseph and Benjamin. Do you remember them? Joseph with the, with the coat? The whole, of Na- uh, the whole nation of Israel were the descendants of Rachel and Leah. That's a, pretty, that's a pretty big prayer, isn't it? That's a pretty big prayer. That's huge, especially if you think about it. Ruth's a Moabite, you know, that's pretty big. Um, <laughs> it's kind of quite hard, um, yeah, to get our head around uh, what kind of mean by Moabite, because, um, you know, we don't really have... We don't really talk about Moabites these days. But um, Rachel, you know, when she spoke a few uh, Sundays ago, she, she said that the equivalent in today's society could be, you know, maybe like a refugee coming over on, uh, on a boat. And I thought, that, that's quite a helpful way of kind of looking. So, so it's people that would be kind of, um, yeah, on the outside. You know, definitely an outsider in today's culture. So, so think about it. So they're praying to Ruth and Boaz, this Ruth Moabite. Think of her kind of an outsider, that she would be like the mother of Israel. Yeah, that's a bold prayer. I want, to, I want you to imagine for a minute, we've got a wedding here at Portswood, and someone prays, may they be the ancestors of a whole nation. <laughs> that might cause a few laughs, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, that'd be an interesting thing to pray. But that's what they pray. And yet if we take a sneak peek a little bit down, a little bit further along to what we're going to look at much more closely next week, from verse 18, we see a family tree. Do you see that family tree? And Boaz and Ruth are going to have a son called Obed. And he will be the grandparent of... Dum, dum, dum. Can you see? Can you see? King David. Yes, that's right. The King David. Yep. And what do we know about King David? If, we, if you look at the, the chapter 1 of uh, Matthew, we see that he is the ancestor of Jesus Christ. That means, hang on a minute, wait, 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 wait. So Ruth, remember we just said she was a Moabite, is in the family tree of Jesus. That is incredible, right? That is incredible. No one, no one would have believed that, right? That is crazy that Jesus would be, one of Jesus' ancestors would be a Moabite. Ruth and Boaz, I told you, they're not just caught up in their own love story. They're caught up in something bigger. The story of Israel. The biggest story of all. God's plan to rescue the whole world through Jesus. They're caught up in it. Why does it matter? Why is this a big deal? Well, we don't really worry too much about family trees these days. I mean, they're quite interesting, aren't they? We might go, oh, who's your grandparent? Oh, are you related to so-and-so? That's quite interesting. But back then... Family trees, lines of ancestry, they were a big thing. The fact that they're in the Bible quite a lot shows us that they were very important. The pastor, Tim Keller, 
says they're kind of the equivalent of a CV these days. You know, it kind of says who you are. It's, that's how you might see it. Oh, you're the son of so-and-so. Okay. And so God was making a pretty big statement here by bringing a Moabite into the family of his own son. Whew. I think it means a few things. Firstly, bringing a Moabite into the family tree of Jesus. I think it reminds us of the importance of um, God being for all people, for every nation. Moabite, Jew, English, French, Indian, Chinese, Scottish. Um, I think it's a, a theme throughout the Bible that God really is for everyone. and wants people from every nation to worship him. It's something that's important to us as well at Ports of Church, isn't it? We have fantastic members of our church who are dotted around the world, sometimes in dangerous places, to share the good news about Jesus to people in other countries that don't know Jesus. And we're committed as a church to, to caring, supporting financially and uh, praying for them for our global partners. So I think this is a, another reminder of God's love for people from every nation. But I think there's another thing here that we can take from a Moabite being in Jesus' family tree. And to help me tell you about that, I'm going to need a bike expert. Now, I know, Josh, you quite like cycling, so would you mind being my bike expert for the morning? (laughs) Thank you. Um, Now, we're going to put up a picture of a bike, and I want to get your thoughts on this bike, Josh. What do you think to that? Are we on? Are we on, Jeff? It looks pretty fast. It does, doesn't it? So bike expert Josh here reckons that bike looks pretty fast. Now, does anybody actually recognize that bike? Interested. Any cycling fans? No? Go to the next photo, see if that helps anybody. Anyone recognize that young man? Unfortunately, yesterday he actually crashed. But, um, <laughs> and so that's Mark Cavendish. And that is Mark Cavendish... Mark Cavendish's custom Willier Falante SLR bike for this year's Tour de France. Any ideas how much it costs? It's quite hard to kind of work out because it's a custom one, but I reckoned I could probably get there or thereabout for about 10 grand. So it's, it's all right, isn't it? Pretty good bike, do you reckon, Josh? Yeah. So uh, do you like racing your bike sometimes? Yeah, sometimes. I want you to think of someone, uh, maybe in your class or a friend of yours, who you might want to race against. You get something? Sister. Oh, yeah, sister. All right. Okay. Uh, Okay. Now, do you reckon she would normally beat you? No. No, she wouldn't. All right. That's fair enough. Okay. Now, uh, I want you to imagine that one day we're going to go cycling and then uh, Bethany turns up with that bite. All right? And uh, she beats you. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, would you be impressed? Incredibly. You'd be, yeah, it's true. <laughs> but you would probably go, well, yeah, but hang on a minute. She's got the custom Willier Falanti SLR, right? You'd probably go, well, you know, she beat me, but she did have that bike, okay? Now, uh, I want you to imagine that actually the next time we race, she has the next bike. There we go. This is the Rally Moly 12-inch, and it comes with the basket and the soft toy. It has a lightweight aluminium frame. Very nice. I think it comes in other colors as well. So, Bethany, you may choose. Uh, So, um, I want you to now imagine that she beats you with that bike. (laughs) Oh, dear. That would be... It would be embarrassing, actually, wouldn't it? (laughs) But you would would have to be very impressed. 
There's no doubt about it. If she beat you with that bike, she, you'd be impressed. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Our bike expert, Josh, thank you. Yes, you can have a clap. The point I'm trying to make, that if Jesus came from a royal lineage of strong, smart, and worthy men, yeah, all right, fine. You know, there's nothing kind of special about that. But that's often not how God works, is it? We said earlier that there's nothing often in the Bible that's really straightforward that goes A to B to C. Instead, Jesus was born in a manger, yeah? And came from a family tree that included a Moabite. Brian Stout calls the book of Ruth a beautiful mess. I thought it was quite nice. I quite like that. Beautiful mess, the book of Ruth. That's God's way. God works through the humble, the vulnerable, the helpless, and the rejected. And he works in them for us to be able to see his ultimate glory. If Bethany beat Josh with that bike, we'd be like, she is really good at cycling, right? God works through the humble, the vulnerable, the helpless, and the rejected. God's work is often described as the reverse side of a tapestry. It can look like a mess, just a threads and colors, unless we see the beautiful pattern on the other side. And through the story of Ruth that we've been looking at, Naomi and Boaz and Ruth, God was preparing the way of his son Jesus and bringing a Moabite, a Moabite, into the story of rescuing the world. Pretty cool. Okay, right. So what have we seen this morning? Well, first of all, we've kind of noticed again that God is at work for his glory and for our good, even in those difficult times, even when it really seems bleak for Naomi. Then we saw a reminder of God's overwhelming generosity and sacrifice through Boaz's generosity and costly redemption of Ruth and Naomi pointed us to Jesus, pointed us to God's character. And then lastly, we saw that God brought Ruth, a Moabite, into the family tree of Jesus, demonstrating his incredible and ultimate glory and his heart for people from every nation. That's pretty cool. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Ruth. We thank you for, yeah, just this beautiful story that we read that can show us so much about you and your character. We can't help but be amazed again at your overwhelming love. Thank you that we can see it in the person of Boaz. And thank you for what we see there of you bringing a Moabite into your family tree. We thank you for your love and your glory. Amen.